Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. I have no opening bit for this episode. Oh gosh. Because you, I didn't you were realize back we were one episode that quickly to be completely honest. I thought we were going to have a little more time to chat about what we were going to do. I was busy opening up my outline that you put a lot of work into and I didn't do the one thing that I bring to this team <laughs> which is a fun bit intro. Man, I'm just rusty at this. I'm just I know, it's like you took 6 months off or something. I'm like normally I'm able to like finesse my way into another bit and it's like just as funny and then people are like, "Oh, he's funny and he's like pulling back the veil on his humor and it's really funny that he's like admitting that he's faulted." <laughs> And but then he still makes us laugh and it's all a great bit and it ends up being really good. And I can't even do that now. All I can do is talk about the obvious fact that I have let everybody in my life down because wow. I'm not funny enough. You peeled back the, the curtain way too far into your humor process with this one, I think. People yeah. are literally inside your brain right now. Yeah, well, this is therapy now. So everybody oh. just gets to listen to me you know, talk to um, Hannah, my therapist, apparently. <laughs> um, well, I don't know how that's going to impact our discussion on Robert Jordan, who is not a therapist. He's At an all. author. Yeah. Uh, guys, I cannot stress enough that the, the thing I just did literally has nothing to do with Robert Jordan. The <laughs> only thing that I've done to prepare for this episode, other than read the books and listen to some biographies is grow a big old beard like robert jordan hey that's a really good start actually because he has a very kind of iconic look to him the yeah. beard the suits he really likes a good yeah. jacket yeah. Uh, and his hats which are amazing that's why i was wearing my wizard's hat when we got on the call <laughs> but it, it doesn't it it's a visual bit so it doesn't help it doesn't help with the podcast so much and also Robert Jordan's hats were more of the like fancy scholar type hats right. unless the floppy sorting hat hat. The, yeah, they're not the uh, spirit Halloween store uh, wizard's costume felt <laughs> hat. I think he would have appreciated your attempt, though. He seems like a, uh, a, a fun, jolly guy. I think so. I think that of all of the authors that we've talked about on our show, it seems like he might be the most fun person. I think so too. I mean, I think Lewis was really fun. I think he like he had his own way of having fun though. Obviously, I'd be less people, afraid but... that Robert Jordan would spank me than I would be with C.S. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> it, Lewis didn't just like come out of nowhere and spank people. That's not how it worked. He paid them and they let him spank them. Ooh. Still and, a little awkward if you're, you know, I mean, friends, but not great friends. We know that Robert Jordan was a good guy, but we don't know for sure he never spanked someone <laughs> for money. 
I really hope that never comes out because just for once, just I once. want to, I just want to have an uncomplicated good guy on this show. Yeah. I mean, all the good guys that we've had on, you know, that we've deep dived into, they had to be Christians. And like, there was like a part of their, their personality. <laughs> Dumbasses. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, Robert Jordan was definitely a Christian too, but not to the degree that C.S. Lewis was. Yeah. Uh, for, he was a normal Christian. If we have new listeners, by the way, uh, a very important part of that joke is that I am a Christian and it is part of my personality. So, <laughs> uh, just in case we have listeners who are listening because they're like, oh, Robert Jordan, let's check out the show. And then like five minutes in, he just called all Christians dumbass. <laughs> Robert Jordan is not a Christian the way Ty Ty the Bible guy is. I'm not even a Christian the way Ty Ty the Bible guy is. <laughs> you, Christianity is a very strange part of your personality because, like, at one point you were Ty Ty the Bible guy. Mm. But yeah. now Christianity is a big part of your personality in a different way, and I'm not sure how exactly to describe it. It's like he's super Christian, but not like Christian Christians. <laughs> but not, like, annoying. That's what I'm going for is – yeah. I want I want everyone to be like, oh yeah, he's super Christian, but not one of those annoying ones. He's liable to uh, break out into a ten minute sermon, but like in a not preachy way. But he's not trying to sell you a can of Jesus or anything. Yes, although if it was like a potato chip that looked like Jesus, I would totally buy it. Do they have potato chips that look like Jesus? No, isn't wasn't that a thing at some point? Someone thought they saw Jesus's face on a potato chip. I mean. Yeah, of course. They see Jesus everywhere. <laughs> Look up at the sky and it's Jesus hanging out. Jesus. In the Jesus. And then if you're like, oh, Jesus, then people are like, hey, don't say that. It's like, but, he, but he's right there. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's the only time you can yell, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so every time I say Jesus and someone gets mad at me, I'm just like, oh, I thought I saw him. It's fine now. It's okay. <laughs> that's your excuse from now on. Yeah. Well, um, all right. We so we've covered Robert Jordan this? and Jesus. I think that we've done a full episode at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's a wrap. Join us next week for Brandon Sanderson, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have painstakingly prepared an outline for this, Tyler. So we are going to talk about Robert Jordan, the only author who I don't have a single problem with. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I honestly, I was thinking about this while I was listening to some biographies on him, like this this might be one of the nicest coolest authors we've ever really talked about i mean frank herbert was really cool too uh he was a bad dad though he, but he was a bad dad and <laughs> and a bad husband and, well i get he didn't cheat on his wife which is really important in discussing <laughs> these authors because most of them end up cheating on their wives but Frank Herbert did get married like a week later or something like that. To like so, a 19 year old. Yeah, to like his assistant. It's like, okay, so yeah, you didn't cheat, but I mean, you were, I mean, that's close. There were some thoughts. Um, Robert Jordan, like, dude, like, n nothing about it was like, oh, ooh. Yeah. A little <laughs> controversy there. Like there was nothing. I couldn't. I mean, I make up a lot of stuff. I created an incest plot out of uh, the Twilight books, so I can make some stuff up, guys. Remember? And even Tyler I has a vivid up. imagination. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so, without further ado, then, can we talk about this fantastic man? 
Yes, let's do it. And for those who who have not heard the name Robert Jordan before, if maybe you didn't listen to our last episode, um, he is most famous for writing the Wheel of Time series, which is this just absolutely massive series of 14 books um, based around the general idea that in the beginning of time, the creator forged the universe and the Wheel of Time, which spins the pattern of ages using people's lives as its threads. Um, and um, it's just... Real quick, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know I'm a stickler for doing an accent when you're quoting There's no someone. accent. It's a made-up universe. I'm gonna He's need American. A bit, I'm going to need a little bit of nerdy Hannah to come out of that. I'm not going to do an accent. There's no accent. Uh, at the beginning of time. Oh, my the God. The wheel began <laughs> to spin, and the pattern weaved itself into all of creation. <laughs> Accent. <laughs> no, no, I refuse on principle. All right, fine, I'll allow it this one time. But next time you have to go ultra Italian. <laughs> ultra Italian, interesting, yeah. okay. Last time you didn't do an Italian accent on Dan Brown's episode. Oh, I thought you wanted me to do an Italian accent to talk about a non-Italian book. And I, I mean, was you like... can. If you want to do Italian for explaining the Wheel of Time, that would be hilarious too. I would love you to Mario that up. <laughs> Well, okay, I don't want to make it sound too nerdy, even though it is totally nerdy, because I just finished reading the first um, book, The Eye of the World, and I actually really liked it, and I'm not a huge fantasy person. So even though the premise, you know, if you're not a fantasy fan, sounds very convoluted and kind of silly, like, it's actually a very good book, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it it approaches fantasy in a way that... um that I think a lot of people gets away from the stereotypes that a lot of people have, like that come out of Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Yeah. And we will definitely get to that um, more later, but we will start as we always do at the beginning of time for Robert Jordan, at least, Yeah, which was on October 17th, 1948. He was born in Charleston, South Carolina as James Oliver Rigney Jr., so that's the first thing you need to know about Robert Jordan is that's not his name. Um, right. He used several pen names throughout his career. So I'm going to be calling him Jim, Robert, Rigney, Jordan, all of the above. And Jimothy. it's going to be very confusing. <laughs> Jimothy. Yep. Um, but yeah, so he he was born in Charleston, which is this historic port city that was founded in 1670. Uh, it's home to Fort Sumter, where the first shot of the Civil War was fired. Um, so it's just a super historic area. I've been there once. It's a beautiful city. Um, now it's pretty much defined by cobblestone streets and these beautiful old houses, um, especially in the French Quarter and Battery District. So this was the environment that he was growing up in. Mm. And I couldn't find a lot of information on his like parents or early childhood. Um, but I did find that his brother, who I believe was named Reynolds, he had two different brothers and I could only find the name of one of them. Um, but Reynolds, I believe, who was older than him by 12 years, passed on his love of reading to young Jim. Mm. Um, their parents apparently would leave Reynolds to babysit his brother a lot, so he would read to him, but he didn't read, like, kids' books. He read the books that he, as a teenager, was interested in, like Mark Twain, Jules Verne, and H.G. Wells. So not the typical stuff you'd read to, like, a three-year-old. Um, when Rigney was four, he claims to have taught himself to read because his brother was not finishing a book fast enough. So <laughs> that annoyed him, and he went and finished it on his own. And by the time he was five, he was allegedly tackling entire novels on his own. Um, his favorite writers became Charles Dickens, 
and a guy named Louis Lamour, who I believe wrote Westerns. Hmm. Um, so that was the stuff he was interested in as a, as a very young child. And then, oh, do you have something? No, nah, I was just going to say 50s Westerns. That was kind of like the, that was the thing back then. They were huge. And then at one point in his career, he actually wrote a Western. So yeah. he had very diverse um, interests in terms of genre and stuff. Um, and then I didn't see a whole lot about his like early school years or high school years at all. Everything I found pretty much started at college and after that. So he had a pretty normal childhood is what you're saying. Yeah, there wasn't anything tragic or dramatic that I could find, at least. Like, maybe they just hide it very well his, in his, his family. His father didn't get syphilis from being a traveling <laughs> salesman and then go nuts. And then his mom didn't go insane and then go to an insane asylum. And then his aunts took care of him. And then his grandpa Whipple died. And then he didn't <laughs> not have anybody to play with. If they did, they kept it hidden really well. But it's interesting nice. that you draw the H.P. Lovecraft comparisons because I found out that the house that uh, Robert Jordan and his wife lived in uh, in his adult life, apparently H.P. Uh, Lovecraft really liked that house. He specifically wrote about it at one point. Oh, shit. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's really cool. Interesting coincidence uh, yeah. there. But yeah, so a, a, by all means, a normal childhood, I would assume. Yeah. Um, he was recruited to play football at Clemson University, uh, but based, I know, and he's like a big dude. I've watched videos with him. He looks very tall. Mm. Um, so I could totally see him being a, a good athlete. Um, but based on interviews with his wife, Helen, who's, or, uh, Harriet, sorry, Harriet, who's going to be a big figure in this outline. Um, it seems like he didn't do very well academically. Uh, he dropped out after a year and enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1968. Um, Isn't that which was... how it always goes for geniuses? Like <laughs> they always do bad in school? There are not a lot of authors that we've talked about on this show who were star students, which surprised me because yeah. I would have thought, like, you know, authors, if you like to read, they... you're going to be pretty smart generally because you're absorbing a lot of information. Yeah, but that's, I mean, probably the only person who did that was... Uh, uh, we haven't even talked about him was uh clark he absorbed information like crazy because he was he was basically a scientist mm -hmm. but um everybody else like i don't i don't know how it is for other people but for me i know that i don't care about the school stuff i care about telling stories and carry i care about the information that's important to telling stories and and, and living my life uh has nothing to do with um math yeah yeah I, and that's something that i've learned through knowing you and like talon and other people in my adult life i'm like wait you're really smart but why did you like not give a shit about school and <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't compute to my teenage nerd brain you were you were good at school right like you did. i was good at school i was i tried in my classes but also like at some, I, I developed really bad habits because I always mm. did well on tests and homework, even if I didn't like study for them. Yeah. So by the time I got to college, that kind of bit me in the ass because then stuff got harder and I was used to just like coasting yeah. through. Yeah. Cause you actually have to put all the knowledge to work. Yeah. Just, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, so it seems like, um, Robert Jordan was, you know, smart, but maybe not academically motivated um so he dropped out and joined the army uh and this was already well into the vietnam war so it was a very tense 
period to be joining the army. Uh, He served two tours of duty as a helicopter gunner. And in one interview that I saw, he talked about his experience in Vietnam and the complicated moral feelings he had about about it. Um, He said, quote, on assignment, you usually do not see people. You open fire as soon as you notice any movement and do not think about it being a person. Otherwise, it is impossible. This is war and the morals of a military person are other than those of a civilian. For a commander, the main thing is to perform his mission and save his soldiers. Reflection in the middle of a fight is dangerous. You will be killed before long. Jeez. So I assume he saw a lot of combat Um, because, yeah, he his experience in the war was uh, had a big impact on his personal and professional life. Do you feel like that that frame of mind is created by going through something and you you have a logical sense of an understanding of the world of like, look, this is how it is. Like we can talk all day long about how we want it to be, how it should be, but this is how the world really is. Or do you feel like that, that mentality is created through kind of justifying actions in a retrospective way? Like he's like, well, I did this stuff and and now that I've had time to think about it, if I don't want to murder myself through, you know, suicide and and think about how awful life is, then I have to justify it by saying this is how you have to go through war. This is I just think how it I've could been. go either way based on the person. Like, I think there are definitely people who do that. The, the second version that you're describing. Um, but I mean, obviously, I. In, in my job, I work with a shit ton of veterans um, yeah. who are all like, you know, the nicest people, very moral and upstanding. But, you know, when you think about the things that they had to do in Iraq or Afghanistan or stuff like that, it's like there's a certain degree of compartmentalization about it, which is like, OK, I'm not going to go home. And worse, my buddy next to me is not going to go home if we're yeah. not willing to, you know, do our what job. Done? Yeah. Yeah. Nah, it's so crazy. it's it's a complicated situation to be in. I, and I think that that's kind of at a point where I am in my life where it's like I've spent the last close to 10 years. You know, I, I, I thought about a lot of religious stuff when I was a teenager going into my 20s now. And then I spent the last 10 years kind of philosophizing a lot of things and, and really thinking about stuff. But now I'm at a point where you know, I'm, I'm a dad. Uh, <laughs> I get to use it now. Uh, I'm a dad. <laughs> Every time. You know, I, I have a wife, you know, a family and, and I'm a business owner and I'm doing all these projects where the rubber meets the road. And, and it's just like, you cannot avoid the reality of things simply by arguing or thinking about what they should be. You have to just kind of it just has to be a certain way. And I know I'm go- I'm getting off way off track, but this is the sort of stuff that I think is important just because he puts a lot of morally gray questions into his writing. Um, you know, and and Robert really wants to wants to ask hard questions through his characters, and I think that's what I'm drawn to in his writing. Mhm. Yeah, I I think that's spot on and exactly what he wanted to accomplish through his writing. Um, And part of the reason he was attracted to the genre of of fantasy, as we'll get to a little bit later on. But yeah, um, so uh, other notable 
things about his his service. Um, I saw that he was injured a couple times. Mm-hmm. Once, apparently, during a hard landing, he knocked uh, some of his teeth out on the back of the pilot seat in front of him, Ugh. which sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's not fun. And then another time, a little splinter of something uh, hit him in the eye, and it, it must have been metal um, because he says someone pulled the piece out of his eye using a magnet. <gasps> uh, he didn't even notice it at first. Uh, he, he like couldn't feel the pain. He said, but then it started bleeding, and like <gasps> bleeding from your eyes is something I never want to experience. Oh my god, that's yeah. disgusting. It's like that that scene in Hot Rod when his friend gets the metal shaving. It's I've bad. not seen that, but that sounds terrible. Hannah, uh, <laughs> go watch Hot Rod. I go watch don't, Hot Rod. I don't have time to watch Hot Rod. I. It took me like the last two weeks to finish reading Eye of the World. <laughs> you need to find 95 minutes in your life. <laughs> to watch and, Hot Rod. And you need to watch Hot Rod. And then I'll know what Robert Jordan went through. <laughs> well, no, not fully. It was a slight reference. But it's the fact that you know that or that I know now that you haven't seen it. You need to go watch it. <laughs> okay, I promise I will. So, yeah, so he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, a Bronze Star with Valor, which is actually a pretty big award, um, and two Vietnamese gallantry crosses during his service. So he was a decorated uh, service member. Uh, After coming back from Vietnam in 1970, he returned to Charleston and attended the Citadel, which is a military college. Uh, He graduated four years later with a bachelor's degree in physics and started working for the Navy as a nuclear engineer. And apparently his job was writing test procedures for overhauling nuclear submarines. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds really smart. He went to college at the Citadel. The Citadel. That's the most fantasy sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm sure it looks basically like Hogwarts, too. I mean, it's a very old, prestigious university. If we take his life so far, we could just write a fantasy story based off of it. <laughs> based on it. A, a smart young man goes to war, gets injured a few times, but he proves himself. And then he goes and becomes a wizard at the Citadel. <laughs> A physics wizard. Yeah, everybody knows that science is just magic. Easy. Oh, everybody. Everybody knows that, Hannah. <laughs> is that your only speculation that a, about that was, his, that was the his, only thing. Yeah, I'm, his I'm fantasy trying, life? I'm trying to let you talk. I'm trying not to... Oh, <laughs> I, we got a lot to get through here. We like, do have a lot to get through. He's okay, got a so lot he's, going on. He's working at the Navy doing engineer shit. And then one day in 1977, he accidentally fell off a submarine at the Charleston Naval Yard and shattered his leg and knee. Uh, After surgery, he got a blood clot that nearly killed him. And that resulted in him being hospitalized and bedridden for a month. Um, This accident is also why he used a cane for much of his life. So in addition to the rest of his dapper style, he's often pictured with a cane, which I thought was just for looking cool, but it's because he needed it. It's for looking cool. He made up the story (laughs) so he could justify it. Oh my gosh. That would make so much sense. Yeah. Well, then he made this part up too, because while he was hospitalized, uh, Robert Jordan passed the time by reading. And he said once he'd finished reading everything he wanted, he decided to try writing because he was like, if these guys can do it, so can I classic 
this is gonna do be your uh, Lorna McDougal's husband thing, but uh, he he penned his first fantasy novel, Warriors of the Altai, in thirteen days while he was bedridden. Okay, Does but that make he you was mad? bedridden, right? Like he couldn't <laughs> go anywhere. It's not like he chose to go to a cabin in the woods and just be like, "Hey, fuck all! I'm gonna just I'm just gonna write a story." He's like, "Hey, I've got literally nothing better to do. I'm gonna write a story." Okay, so you're less bitter about this. Yes. If okay. you gave me 14 days to write a story and I had nothing else to do, I didn't have to take care of my kid, I didn't have to take care of my wife or, you know, do the chores or anything like that, get rid of video games because this is in the 70s, get rid of, you know, other podcasts because 70s, I got nothing else to do. I could write a book in 14 days. You know, at first I was skeptical, but when you pointed out that it's the 70s and there's nothing else to distract him. I think you made a good point. Like technology, podcasts, social media have totally obliterated my uh, productivity. So I I think you could do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this desire to write didn't come out of nowhere. Um, He said in interviews that he'd always meant to write one day. Uh, The desire basically struck him from the age of five, he said. So basically when he started reading on his own Um, and once he almost died, he decided that life was too short to wait for one day. And so he started writing and he always said he would write up until the day they, quote, nail shut his coffin. (laughs) So, yeah. So he he writes this fantasy novel. Um, It was 98,000 words. So that's a a big chunk of a novel. Um, uh, I'm sorry. That's. Just doing some quick math. I mean, it's way smaller than all of his other books, but like. But no, uh, that's I'm doing the math in my head of 13 days, 98,000 words. That's basically 13,000 words a day. I believe you. I mean, like 12. We'll just say 12,000 words a day. No. No, that would be longer. Yeah, that'd be 130,000. It's definitely more than NaNoWriMo. <laughs> That's so many words. That's now a lot of I'm, words. Now I'm second guessing the challenge I just made of like, oh, I could do this. Because that's a <laughs> you're, lot. You're doubting yourself? Thousand divided by 13. 7,500 words a day. Every day. For that's two a lot. Weeks straight. I mean, if that's literally all you're doing except for eight hours of sleep, then I suppose. If I get on a roll, I can write. 15 to 1800 words an hour so that's a solid eight hours of work that's still pretty good yeah because your brain is fried and he's like handwriting it he's with little fingers <laughs> he's got the pen oh yeah he might have been i don't know if he had a typewriter in his hospital bed that's crazy so yeah so very impressive accomplishment and two years Later, he actually sold this book to a guy named Tom Doherty, uh, Doherty. who was, pardon me? Doherty. Doherty. Uh, He was with a publishing company called Ace at the time, but would later go on to found Tor Books, which is going to be important. Um, So Warriors of the Altai never got published, and the rights eventually reverted back to Robert Jordan. Um, And he said in an interview, and he kind of like maintained this throughout his life, um, that People would never see this book or know anything about it. Uh, He said he hadn't destroyed the manuscript because it has, quote, powerful juju. Um, But in his will, he said he had provisions to have that manuscript burned after he dies. Uh, But until then, he was afraid to get rid of it and, like, jinx 
jinx the luck. Um, so it. remember, remember that because it's going to be important later. Ooh. Yes. This is Does a, he burn a, it later and everything comes crashing down. Yes. He, he burns the book and, uh, his career ends. Nailed it. And then, <laughs> and then Sanderson was born and killed him and took his place. Exactly. God, the fantasy novel life uh, exactly. continues. Yeah. You have to live <laughs> your life like a fantasy. <laughs> but um, even though he didn't uh, end up publishing this book at the time, it really kind of launched his writing career. Um, a year after his accident, while he was still recovering, uh, Robert Jordan told the owner of a local bookstore in Charleston that he was writing a bodice ripper novel. So these are basically those uh, historical uh, sexy novels, basically, with the, the dirty covers, kind of. Oh. Yeah, which seemed like a weird choice, but I guess it kind of harkens back to his interest in history. He was uh, a Highlander. She was <laughs> of high blood. <laughs> Tyler, he's Southern. Can't you at least do like a Southern accent? Oh, uh, he was a gentleman and <laughs> yes. she was a lady. <laughs> Much more appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So the, the bookstore owner mentioned this book that, that he was writing to a woman named Harriet McDougal. <gasps> no relation to Lorna McDougal. <laughs> We're talking about Harriet McDougal's husband? Harriet McDougal's husband. Uh, Harriet's maiden name was Popham. Uh, but she had been married and already Popham? had a, a I hardly kid at know the time. him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dad. <laughs> dad jokes for the win. So Harriet was an editor for um, that publisher, Tor Forge, that Tom Doherty uh, founded. And she was starting her own imprint for them. So she left her card with the bookstore owner because she was kind of interested in this idea. And the owner passed it on to um, Robert Jordan the next time he came in. There's also an alternate version of this story that I saw. So I, I saw two different tellings of it. In the other version, Harriet had instead been interested in Warriors of the Altai, that other book. Um, but when Jim sent it to her, it turned out it wasn't what she was looking for. But either way, uh, with her encouragement, Robert Jordan ended up writing <laughs> a historical... This isn't what I was looking for. I was looking for something good. <laughs> so... Could you send me one of those, please? Yeah, she was interested in the bodice ripper, so... Yeah. She helped him write uh, the historical fiction novel called The Fallon Blood, uh, which McDougal edited and published under her, her Popham Press in 1980. And for this, he used the pseudonym Regan O'Neill. So this is the third name that we've got for him so far. How, do, um, how, do, how do they come out with these names? Like, if you were going to go under a pseudonym, what would what would your pseudonym be? Oh, God, I have no idea. I you have would want to make something it, ridiculous. I'd want to make it something really cool and unique. Um, Robert Jordan is not like a ridiculous name, though. And the only thing I could find on why he chose that name later on was that J-O-R were his initials. Mm. And that's where he got the Jor from, but I don't even know. I'd want mine to be, I don't know what, I, I have zero idea what I would do for like, if I'm writing under a different name. But like, I would probably just follow stripper name rules or like porn star name rules or something, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Like Larry Hardwood or oh god, <laughs> I feel like that only works if you're writing bodice rippers. I'm, yeah, the new author Harry Johnson just came out with 
this brand new Western. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. Uh, I feel like uh, Reagan O'Neill's kind of got a sexy ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's sexy? I don't know. <laughs> What's sexy about Reagan O'Neill? Is it because there's O in it? Yeah, it's got that little Irish vibe to it. That's not that's not the O I was talking about. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that O. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on now. Um, the Fallon Blood is set during the American Revolution around uh, his hometown of Charleston. So Charleston is, is super important to him. I mean, this is his lifelong home, so... He's really got a thing for for Charleston, South Carolina. Does he like um, Charleston shoes? Yeah, pro- I'm sure that's his favorite candy. Hell yeah! You heard <laughs> it here, folks. Robert Jordan's favorite candy was Charleston shoes. Charleston shoes. If you don't like those facts, you can shove them up your old Neil. Good job. <laughs> See, you're getting better at this uh, no cursing thing. Fuck yeah, I am. Oh goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> So um, he and Harriet spent so much time working together that they fell in love, of course. Classic. Harriet already had a son uh, at the time. She and Jim had apparently been seeing a lot of each other, and Jim got on very well with her son. Uh, And one day, this kid came running upstairs and said Jim told him he would take him to see the new Star Trek movie. And Harriet said, can I come too? And that was their first date, which is just adorable if that's a true story. Yeah, that's a great story. (laughs) I mean everything about that story is really good that's like some like gilmore girls bullshit right there right (laughs) it's almost like two writers sometimes talked about their Uh, life and i don't know whether or not to trust everything they say because they're very good storytellers yeah they made all of this up they they met on the 70s version of craigslist Oh my, yeah, they posted something in the newspaper, a missed connection. Yeah. Are you a writer who wants to come up with a great idea for how we could have met? Well, join me at at O'Neill's O Factory. Oh, God. (laughs) Nope. Okay, moving on. So Harriet and Jim slash Robert slash Reagan O'Neill got married in March of 1981, around the time his second book in the Fallon trilogy was published, this time by Tor, I think uh, his logic for publishing it with them instead of with Harriet was he was like, oh, shit, I'm going to marry this lady. Maybe I shouldn't have her be my sole like source of income and in charge of everything I do. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and Tor's basically the same company. So he moved over there um, and his career was pretty much go, go, go from here on out. Um, I assume... Tyler, that you have heard of Conan the Barbarian before? <laughs> I'm going to take that laughter as a yes. Yeah, I've, I've heard of Conan the Barbarian. Did you know that uh, Robert Jordan wrote several of the books in that series before this episode? I did not know that. I did not. I, did not, I was very shocked to learn this. So the fiction- I, let, Hold on. Quick list of things I knew about Conan the Barbarian. Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and also references Lovecraft stuff. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, there's like elder ones and great old gods and stuff. Okay. cthulhu so, so I knew next to nothing about Conan the Barbarian, uh, but apparently this fictional hero originated in pulp magazines, 
uh, introduced by a writer named Robert E. Howard in a 1931 short story. And then he ended up writing 21 stories about Conan over his lifetime. Then it turned into that thing, like with Sherlock Holmes and Nancy Drew, where other writers pen additional installments. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the years, there have been more than 50 works um, attributed to other writers in this canon. Including Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wrote the best one. <laughs> he did not write one, did he? No, he didn't. He was just in the movie. But you could believe it. You could believe it for like half a second that maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger wrote one. I mean, maybe. I don't want to say that I don't think he could write, but (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) So Tom Doherty, that publisher, remembered that Rigney had once written a chunky novel in 13 days. So he went and asked him to write some more Conan books for Tor. Um, And after what Robert Jordan called a lot of bullying by his wife and the publisher, he reluctantly agreed to do one. Uh, so he wrote Conan the Invincible, which came out in 1982, and this was the first time he used the pen name Robert Jordan. Uh, he ended up having a lot of fun with this project, and he said that he appreciated the challenge of having to work with a character and a world that had already been created by someone else, yet find a way to say something new. Um, Interesting. And his... Ironic, even. Oh, it's a, it's foreshadowing. Foreshadowing foreshadowing god he's a writer to his core he didn't even know he was foreshadowing his own life yeah (laughs) but his take on conan was uh he decided to write about the hero's life between the ages of 18 and 22 since that was apparently an area that hadn't been explored in the other books um and he enjoyed it so much that he agreed to do five more plus a novelization of the second conan movie and these were all released by the end of 1984 so that's six or seven books in like three years basically nice. yeah, yeah. And if he's if he's putting out seven thousand words a day yeah he's gonna have like yeah and these like books are a lot shorter i think so yeah. like very easy for him to churn out Guys, and during... I've, been, I've been writing short stories once a month to you know to do this whole thing i'll talk about it in a little bit It takes me all month. It takes me all freaking month to do 10,000 words. Well, in your defense, I'm pretty sure that at this point, writing had been his full-time career for a little bit. Like, I I don't think he was trying to hold down another job and write on the side a la Stephen King or any other reasonable person. Yeah, and yeah, I'm better than Jordan. (laughs) I'm not saying better. I'm just saying, you know, you can't compare your experience trying to squeeze writing around your other, like, 80,000 hours of work a week to his. Very true. (laughs) But during that three-year period, not to make you feel bad, uh, he also published uh, an eighth book, uh, a Western called Cheyenne Raiders, uh, and he used the pen name Jackson O'Reilly for that one. He likes the O names. (laughs) Yeah, he's a big fan of the O's. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then after finishing writing the Conan books he was glad to get back to writing his own stuff and his Hold own on. stuff i'm sorry before we get before we move on i'm just you said something that's just piqued my interest jackson o'reilly what was the other one uh, reagan o'neill reagan o'neill robert jordan all of these have prominent o sounds and an r's o, and j's o's like 
circles like <gasps> wheels. Wow. What? You did should have. Uh... Did he know what he was doing the whole time? <laughs> I have to assume he did. He does not seem like a man who just does things for the hell of it. Except for writing Conan the uh, Barbarian. Right, I'm, I, gonna, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking into this oh factory wheel of time situation. <laughs> I like your conspiracy theories. <laughs> but yeah, so around this time is when he starts working on his most famous work, The Wheel of Time. Uh, from what I found, it seems like he started writing in the in the late 80s. Um, and the spark that got him like inspired to write this, he says, was that he started thinking to himself one day. Uh, what would it be like to be told that you have to save the world, but in the saving, you will go mad and murder everyone you love? What would that feel like? So that was his idea. That was the spark that lit the the candle that set the world on fire with this epic series. Um, and he showed Harriet the first half of the eye of the world at some point, And she called up Tom Doherty. Um, she was editorial director of Tor, Tor books at that point. Um, and she told Tom that he had to read it because, quote, either after eight years of marriage, I've fallen into the wife trap or this book is absolutely wonderful. Mm. She loved it. And it turns out both were true. <laughs> yeah. Why can't both be true? Yeah. Well, actually, I, I don't think the former should be true because then she would be a bad editor. You can still be a good. Is there something? Is there a specific rule that is the wife trap that everything that your husband writes is good? Or yeah, is I think just, that's what she was trying to say. She was like, "Am I, you know, do I just love him so much that I don't see the flaws in this story?" I, I mean, I don't know. She, she edited it though, so there yes. were obviously flaws to it. It's not. That yes, she, I don't think she did fall proving, into the wife I'm trap. I'm just proving the latter point. <laughs> Yeah, she remained objective. Um, But Tom Doherty read it, and according to Harriet, the second half came, quote, toddling along. She just seems absolutely adorable in every video and interview of hers that I've read. Um, And they launched the series that would define Robert Jordan's career. Uh, When he first started writing it, he assumed there would be four or five books uh, eventually, he realized he just couldn't fit the story inside those limits and would go on to write 11 Wheel of Time books, a reference encyclopedia based on the universe, and a prequel that was originally published as a novella and an anthology, then expanded into a full novel. So that's like 13 books. Pretty slow for his, <laughs> you know, output. Uh yeah, I know you're being sarcastic there because <laughs> I was like, okay, we think of like George R. R. Martin and how slow he is with releasing these similarly sized Game of Thrones books. Yeah. Uh, Robert Jordan was not like that. I think the first few came out like back to back years. Really? And then later on, it started being more like two years between books. But so, I mean, he was I, fast. I talked about this in our last episode. I, I, I mentioned it. Um, but. I genuinely, and this is just me as the reader, it's not me as someone who's investigated this or who is currently doing the Wheel of Time O'Neill O. Jackson conspiracy <laughs> situation. Um, there's no authority in this. But as a reader, I read um, Eye of the World and, the, and the, the Hunt or whatever it is, the second book. Um, mm-hmm. 
I read both of those back to back, right? Like I immediately after. And I forgot that I was listening or reading two different books. I thought that at certain points I was like, this is one book. They just flow seamlessly together, you mean? Yeah. And there's the end of the first book is not an ending. Like it's not a good ending. It's a good setup to a good ending, but it's not a good ending. And then the second book had a good ending. It had hmm. a much more climactic feel to, oh, okay, this is what we've been getting to for the last, you know, 900 pages. Okay. Um, Having just finished it, I I can see what you're saying there. Like the, the climax of Eye of the World <clears throat> is kind of small. Yeah. Compared to what it seemed to be building to. Yeah. Um, so I still felt read... like it had an ending in that, like, okay, there was a climax and then there was like a chapter of like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Yeah. I And I honestly, truly believe that he wrote one story and then he split them up and then he added certain things. Like he wrote, and, and I air quotes here, an end to book one to make he... it feel like it was going to be an end and then it was going to be going into book two he very well could have I, I all i really know about his writing process with this was that he knew from the get-go how the series would end he had like the whole arc planned out all the prophecies and he often worked ahead so it is quite possible that you know maybe he had already written the first two or three books and then yeah. was like oh shit we have to publish this in something that's not 1200 pages long sure yeah, absolutely. And and I could be completely wrong. It, it could be something where this is he's like, ah, I've got another book coming. So I this is the end of this book. And then the next book will be a little more climactic. But yeah, um, I know how writing goes. I know that sometimes you go, wow, I wrote twelve hundred pages and nobody needs to read all that at, in one sitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think Harriet came in clutch in terms of uh you know, keeping the story and the pacing on track because uh, she was very hands on with all of the Wheel of Times books. Um, she Her style was what's referred to as curbside editing, meaning Robert Jordan would give her a chapter basically every night as he wrote, and then she'd give it back the next day with feedback. Mm. And it wasn't just shallow edits or anything like she really helped shape the plot. One example is that in the Eye of the World, the first book, um, he originally had four boys setting out from their village, the two rivers, but one of the boys didn't really do anything. Um, so Harriet asked about that and Robert Jordan told her, he's like, oh, I have plans for that kid in the fourth book. Uh, but Harriet said, if you bore people then there will never be a fourth book, cut mm -hmm. the boring kid out. So he did. And I'm like, that's, that's a good example of her not falling into the wife trap, I think, and being very critical. Um, and necessarily critical too, because especially in these epic fantasy books, like you've got to be selective about your characters because there's yeah. just so many of them. I, I know with um, with the story that I had written that you've read some of, mm -hmm. um, like I've completely changed the the entire story of that because I realized that there were characters that were doing nothing, um, and I and I went I. I can't get rid of these characters because I love them so much. And it's not me just being able, not being able to kill my, my darlings, but it's like, I have very specific reasons why I want them in there. 
And so rather than kill them, I want to adjust the story to be better to have them in there because I think it's important. Yeah, and that's the way you can do it too. I, I think there were other times when like Harriet would be reading it and there would be four chapters of plot that really didn't have any action. So she's like, bruh, you gotta you gotta make something exciting happen. <laughs> and she said that's always when, you know, he'd kill somebody in those in yeah. those chapters after that. So it's like, you know, you can either pare down your characters to to make the book a little more exciting or move the plot around, but it's really important to have someone uh, who can lend that critical eye. Um, and he also would frequently ask Harriet if she thought the actions of his female characters rang true, because he has a lot of female characters in these books. Um, but in interviews, Harriet has said that Robert Jordan was always a natural at writing strong female characters. And this might be like one small peek into his family background that we know very little about. But apparently he liked to say, quote, the women in my family are strong women and the men are strong because the women killed and ate the weak ones. So I guess he had a, a very strong female influence in his life. Although Harriet jokes that she never actually saw the bones. So she doesn't think that's true. <laughs> you know, and and I, I think that that's probably a, a really big part of his his stance in the fantasy world. I know that a lot of people now retrospectively with like kind of 2022 uh, vision. We look back on Tolkien and we start to pick apart a lot of Tolkien's writing and, and Lord of the Rings. And we're like, oh, there's barely any women in it. And um, we're going to go ahead and throw some racism in with the whole fantasy thing. And I, I'm, I don't really agree with those. But when you look at Robert Jordan's work, you can see that he did intentionally bring women into the light with like with the with the spotlight and say like no it's not about these boys it's about the world and the world has these women that are very important in it mm -hmm. um, and i really like that aspect of him kind of going we're we're not playing by the same old rules it's not going to be a boys club in this in this book series i like that too and i like that he doesn't make a big deal about it like he's writing right. this in the in the late 80s and 90s primarily yeah. um and for the record like as a woman i don't give a shit that tolkien doesn't have very many females in his book like it's his book write whatever you want <laughs> uh and i don't have strong feelings about the fact that robert jordan has like a ton of females in his book i'm like that's cool it as long as it works with the story i'm down yeah I, and i think it, kind of exactly what you just said something to what you said where he doesn't go out of his way to to be like, hey, look, everyone, I've got these strong women that are, you know, they're all they're all in here. See, I got the women in here. Like he just writes. He just tells their story. And some of them you don't like some of them you love some of them you're not sure about. But throughout all of it, they just exist and they do their thing. They have their personalities. And you have situations now where like Marvel in Endgame does a whole scene where women are banding together to to run across the battlefield completely unnecessary it it does not move the story forward at all in fact it inhibits it um and it's marvel being like hey everyone look look how great we are we we have women you notice how we have women on, on screen and it's like yeah we we know we, <laughs> we've seen it we get it 
Yeah, Robert Jordan did that before it was cool and without all the baggage and virtue signaling. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, and yeah, so apparent like reading the first one, I think his female characters are fine. Like they're not awkward like Stephen King's or other male writers. So yeah. he does a good job. And uh, at one signing early on in the series, Harriet remembers that some women came up to him and said, like, you're Robert Jordan. We were so sure that that was the pseudonym of a woman because your women are so well written. And That's her so husband was just like endlessly pleased by that compliment. <laughs> I would be, too. That's that's one of the greatest things you can hear as an author is that, oh, you've depicted an experience that you've never had before and you've done it so well that we thought that you had had that experience. Yeah. That's, that's, it's a compliment that is deeper than just being like, oh, you write women well. It's like, hey, you're a fantastic writer that's capable of writing things you've never dealt with. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that characterizes him is he has this, he's a very thoughtful person and we see that with his comments about being in Vietnam and stuff. Like he's very interested in the human experience and morals and all of that. So I think he, he takes the time and makes the effort to see things from a different perspective with his characters. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. And so then, I guess this is where we talk about the fact that he had a good relationship and a good marriage. Um, by all accounts, it seems like Robert Jordan was deeply in love with Harriet, his, his editor, his confidant, his wife. Uh, he dedicated all of his Wheel of Time books to her uh, and called her his first and most faithful reader. Um, so, yeah, he's just like they never had kids of their their own, but um, he he was for all intents and purposes, a father to her son. So they were just great. Yeah. It's, I, it's honestly, it's really, really cool to, to hear about not just an author, but an author of such renown and someone who he would go to, to conventions. He, they had a freaking Jordan gone. Like he had his own freaking convention. They, he would be a part of his fandom but he never took advantage of them. You know, that's the big thing that you see all the time. Like, especially with, uh, um, Asimov, Asimov. Yeah. Dude <laughs> took it, literally took advantage of his fandoms. Um, and it just, it honestly, it gets scary sometimes as an, an author with a wife. And I'm like, I want to be a famous author. <laughs> Tyler, are you going to say that you're worried you're going to be tempted to sleep with random fans at conventions? No, I'm not. I Yeah, I guess I am. I just <laughs> like it's like I just I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to be the only one that doesn't do it. Not that I would do it to to achieve it. I'm just saying I would prefer if there were other men who also didn't sleep around and take advantage of women when they're in a relationship with a wife <laughs> and children stuff, you know. And it sounds like this guy's one of them. One of like we need three to, so far. Listeners, can you send us a list of like 10 male authors who have not been total turds in their relationships, please? We need some more inspiration and, for and Tyler. They have to be at least semi-famous or majorly famous. Yeah. Like, you can't just be like, oh, my cousin, he wrote a couple of books 
Um, and he's never slept with anyone. It's like, yeah, because he's not famous. <laughs> he I doesn't want, have the choice. <laughs> yeah, I want famous people who like have girls coming up to them probably at Comic Cons and being like, hey, if you want to go into the bathroom, I'd let you do this. It's like, no, I'm good. Thanks. I'm here to sell books so that I can provide a living for my wife and son. <laughs> Maybe, you know, Harriet was with him on the signings and stuff, too. She was good. like, a, she was there to to keep the women at bay. Honestly, that's a that's a big part of it, too, though. At least for me, I know with Rebecca, I want Rebecca at every single thing I do. When it comes to my writing, if if I get invited to ever go to a, a convention or speak somewhere, I want Rebecca to be there. I want my son to come along if, if he's old enough, if we can make that happen. I want to because Rebecca is the most important person to me. Why wouldn't I want her to be at some of the coolest shit that I'm deal doing? You know, if I could have Rebecca in the studio with us here, I'd have her listening to every single episode. <laughs> But she doesn't because she gets to hear me talk about my ideas <laughs> and opinions all the fucking time. She, she doesn't need another reason to listen to me. Well, I'm glad that you guys are, are shaping up to be Robert Jordan and Harriet McDougal uh, 2.0. <laughs> and what's really funny is Rebecca and I have started writing a book together. And, what? and it works almost the same way that Jordan and Harriet do their work where like I'll write out as like a like a chapter or so and then Becca will go through and edit it and tell me her ideas and and will shape the ideas of it and maybe put in some new jokes and stuff like that based off of what she thinks oh that's so cute I love that <laughs> yeah I mean I just I, I, I'm not like hey we're doing another it's just it, it's something that she and i do for the fun of it and it's literally just we'll be watching fantasy stuff and be like oh we need to put that into the book because that's really funny <laughs> i feel like uh you know that's a, a more creative and productive pastime than other things so that's awesome that you guys do that yeah the one time we didn't do that nine months later i'm a dad so <laughs> god damn it <laughs> no that's good that you skipped the book writing that night <laughs> um in addition to to harriet though the other great love of his life i feel like was charleston uh shout out to to the city where he lived for pretty much his entire life um the house that hp uh, lovecraft liked uh they they lived in uh, was built in 1797 and I looked it up it's in a super nice neighborhood like it's pretty close to the battery which is this shore area and all of the homes there are valued at at least a, a million dollars most are multi-million dollar homes Damn. um so yeah it's a he's in a night or he was in a nice part of Charleston uh and you can also see in the the series like he drew some inspiration in this fantasy series from his hometown um because he has these creatures in wheel of time called ogares i think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it um and there's an ogare street in charleston nice so he did like the matt graining uh simpsons thing there where he named characters off of or off of yeah off of landmarks in his city what did i didn't realize that simpsons had stuff like that well he has like characters and stuff like flanders street burns man i'd never put those together. you never Holy knew that shit. oh yeah. my gosh i'm no, driving there's through a... portland like how do i know what burns street is 
There's a lot. I, I, those are the first two that come to mind, but I know there's other landmarks too that, that pop up in the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. Now, you know, um, but yeah, so, and then kind of getting into that, that fame and the fandom stuff that you were talking about, like his career was really taking off in the mid nineties. Um, his, after his seventh Wheel of Time book was published, uh, Ed Rothstein, a writer for the New York Times, called Jordan the American heir to Tolkien, which mm-hmm. is the hugest compliment a fantasy writer could get. Uh, Rothstein praised Jordan's elaborate universe, meticulous plotting, and narrative drive. Uh, he also pointed to the unique feel of Jordan's universe. This is something we've talked about. Like A lot of the books after Lord of the Rings were very similar. They had that medieval feel and very similar like monsters and stuff. Um, but Wheel of Time does not feel medieval and redundant like so many of those fantasy novels. Um, and like the culture is totally different. Like we talked about women, they're held as equal basically to men and in some ways superior in Wheel yep. of Time. Um, and in his piece about Jordan, he also drew parallels between the fact that both he and Tolkien served in the military. Um, and he said Wheel of Time, the, the book's battle scenes have the breathless urgency of firsthand experience. That was a quote. And that's a quality that Harriet also praised in her husband's work, the tactics in the military strategy. Um, she said that really came from his uh, experience in the army. Uh, and Rigney, or Rigney, Robert Jordan, all of his names. He was very happy about that comparison, of course. Um, and he noted that yeah, where Tolkien... Obviously, yeah. If someone was like, oh, hey, um, Hannah, Don't compare me to him. Hannah Lambert is the next... Um, shit, what's her I name? I don't want to be uh, Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn. That's what I was going to say. So. Oh, you know me well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, uh, a mystery with some fucked up shit in it. Yeah, that's <laughs> Hannah. That's what she does. And then she doesn't. And then she's also part George George R. R. Martin and Patrick Rothfuss, where they, she doesn't let you finish the story. <laughs> Figure it all out. Oh, I'd rather be compared to Flynn. I think I'm, I'm not going to let you live it down until you let me finish at I least a, a story. I know. I'm point. so sorry. I'll, it, I'll write you a children's book or something. How about that? No, I need a mystery. I need a real mystery. It'll be a children's mystery. It'll be really messed up. What we really <laughs> Very need to dark. do, honestly, is get you in touch with um, Tom Phillips. I did a... Uh, oh, you did a correspondence with him. with him, right? Yeah. His book is coming out next month, uh, and it's a mystery, and he has a whole, a whole bag of tools that he could teach you for writing mystery that would probably help you, like, finish a book (laughs) get get it going yeah and i'm only being like you need to do that i'm only gonna try and set you up with him so that i I can so that i can read the story okay tom phillips call me for tyler's sake (laughs) but yeah so so he's super happy about this comparison um and he in one interview he noted like uh, that where Tolkien drew on the myths and legends of the English countryside and like North legends for, for his work, uh, Robert Jordan drew on the myths and legends of pretty much every country in the world to form Wheel of Time. And you can see that in just the name itself. Like the, the concept of a Wheel of Time, I did not realize this, but it's huge in like other religions um, yeah. in Eastern like Asia religion. and stuff. Yeah, Eastern, Eastern religions. religions. Yeah. Um, and his rationale for this was that like he... Gr- grew up and lived in America, which was a melting pot. And he said there were very few nations that didn't have at least some people living in America. So he wanted his fantasy universe to kind of reflect that experience. Sure. 
uh, which I think is really cool. So his melting pot fantasy was making him extremely successful. Um, By the mid-90s, five million copies of his books had been sold. And in the early years of internet fandoms, he was like a god. Like you mentioned the forums and stuff. All sorts of these sites popped up, many of which are still active today. Uh, I hope none of those like forum fans are listening because I'm sure they know way more about Robert Jordan than we um, do. Technically, <laughs> Robert Jordan. <laughs> They're picking apart everything we're saying. Um, but I mean, I this mean, is yes and no. There's the fact that Robert <laughs> Jordan did indeed write the Wheel of Time, but it is clear that his story is superior <laughs> to the Tolkien stories. <laughs> That's uh, quite the statement, nerd Tyler. Yes, well, uh, but when we're dealing with absolutes, I'm going to tell the truth. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so so all of these forums were popping up to speculate about the fates of characters and share news about the, the series. And Robert Jordan also started a blog around 2005, which ended up turning into more of a dialogue with fans asking him questions and him responding. Um, and like you were saying a little bit earlier, um, with like the the prospect of people hitting on him at signings and whatever, like some girl allegedly asked him if he wore boxers or briefs in the comments section. And he was like, well, there's only one way for you to figure that out. And uh, I don't think you'd like Harriet's reaction. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that. Um, But also in 2005, sadly, uh, shortly after releasing the 11th Wheel of Time book, Knife of Dreams, Jordan was diagnosed with cardiac amyloidosis. Uh, This is also known as stiff heart disease. It's apparently a rare progressive blood disorder where clumps of proteins basically build up on your heart and replace the normal tissue over time. Um, And his life expectancy at the time of his diagnosis was four years. Uh, In the spring of 2006, so like six months later, he shared the news with his fans, but he urged them not to worry about him and said he intended to have a long and creative life. Uh, At this point, when he was feeling good, he often worked seven to eight hours a day, seven days a week in a carriage house behind his home, which was like his writing studio. Uh, During the last few months of his life, however, he uh, was only able to dictate notes for the final books of the series. Uh, One of his friends had worked as a court reporter in the past, so she was really good at typing fast and took detailed notes while he spoke. Um, one, One kind of funny thing about her... Note-taking, though, apparently every time Jordan mentioned the Dragon Reborn, which is a major part of the books, she thought he was saying Dragoon, which was an old military term, apparently. So she kept writing Dragoon instead of Dragon. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they also used a tape recorder asking him questions about the plot along the way. So he was just really determined that this series should get finished, even if he weren't the one who was going to write every single word. Yeah. That was super important to him. Uh, And he did actually write the very last scene of the final book in the series, A Memory of Light, by himself, uh, according to Harriet. So he planned ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think you get to a point where you're like, okay, this story is bigger than me. How do I make sure I put on as much control for the story to to keep it going? and honestly, it's really sad, and it's something that I've thought about a lot. I don't know if it's like a midnight midlife crisis thing, or now that I 
have a son now that I'm a, you know, now that I'm a father. <laughs> You're thinking about legacies and but all I, that. Yeah, exactly. Like I've legitimately thought about <laughs> like coming into the studio and just recording my thoughts and like ideas and stuff that way when I do die, uh, hopefully not for some time, but you never know. Obviously. The, I mean, Jordan had no idea. Um, that that there's something that they can hold on to you know and and i my hope and i've said this before on the show my hope genuinely is that this show that we're doing now can give if i died tomorrow my son could listen to this show and go this is who my dad was this is what he stood for this is what he believed this is what what he was all about um, so to me, when I'm doing this show, I'm not just here to entertain our listeners. I am here to entertain our listeners, but I'm not just here to entertain our listeners. I'm here to put a stamp on the world and say, this is, this is Tyler Clausen. And that's what he was doing with these books. He's saying, this is all of my thoughts. This is my beliefs. This is me working through who I am as a person. I'm just doing that through a story. I'm doing mm-hmm. that through these characters and it's, it was important to him. Even if I'm dead, I'm, I, the questions that I have still remain, the philosophies that I have are still out in the world and I need to sum those up. Um, so I honestly, I, I, I identify with this so much and, and it kind of brings a little bit of crisis into my life of like, shit i need to get on it you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna tell my story in the world then i need to do it now i need to start now because you never know when you're gonna get the news that hey you've got four years left but in reality you have one year left Mm -hmm. yeah i i mean i think the discussions that that we've had in the quote-unquote sermons that you delivered on this show are like those would be incredibly valuable to your son in the tragic and very unlikely event that you died um, a year from now. So I I think that's a good start, but I think you should also get on the other projects. Like I like what inspired Robert Jordan to start writing in the first place, you know, was his near death experience, you know, don't wait for your near death experience to, to start writing. I, I mean, is this something for you as well? Like, do you do this show because it's cathartic do you do it for just because it's something to do what brings you back to the microphone every other week um i think i mean i just like the discussions and like the deep you know the mostly from you the the deep thoughts and reflections on Mm -hmm. the lives that these people live and the way they impact your idea of like what a good life is and what a good writer is yeah um so i think that is in a way very cathartic and then you know aside from that it's just like fun to talk about these people and (laughs) and finally find someone who was a good husband and a likable human and yeah it's just and also like it's fun now that we're at a point where we have people writing in and like interacting with us more on social media like yeah. Knowing that other people are listening and enjoying is very rewarding. Yeah, it is. I it's don't. Really I'm not doing it for my legacy necessarily. Um, I I don't worry about my future 
possible child um, listening to it. I hope I didn't say anything too embarrassing when they finally do find their mom's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> they probably won't listen. They'll be like, ah, I don't, she talked enough in my lifetime. Like, uh, I don't need to listen I'm to that. If I'm still alive, they will listen. <laughs> You're going to be like, okay, listen here, losers. I'm just going to show up as like an old wizard man. You're like, I knew your mother back in the day. You wouldn't believe the things she said. Here's a USB port. Plug it in and press play. This sounds like the start to a great story. <laughs> like a modern, never-ending story or like Princess Bride or it's something. It's just going to be an urban fantasy, but there's no real magic. It's just science and uh, podcasts. But you wear a wizard hat for some reason. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is this is good content. If there was someone out there that was going to write uh, fanfic, which I believe there is Devani, we're waiting. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be killed off in our first fanfic, though. <laughs> it can be like an alternate universe that we visit where, okay. where you've died off and for some reason I've still lived and we're really old because I have to be. <laughs> You're really old, but my children are very young for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't have children until you were like 60. <laughs> oh, God. Advances in medical science is just great. They're amazing. It's not science. It's magic, Tyler. Yeah. So back to Jordan. This has been a lovely <laughs> tangent. Uh, but yeah, so he did not make it, sadly, the full four years that uh, he expected. He died on September 16th, 2007, less than two years after his diagnosis, he was only 58 years old. Um, and and one of the things that I thought was really sad that he never got to do was write about the Vietnam War. Uh, this was something that he said in interviews he really wanted to do. He wanted to write about his comrades. And he said that he hoped God would give him the opportunity one day. And he said that when he did write this book, he would release it under his real name. That's oh. how passionately he felt about it. And he never got to do it, which makes me really sad. That is sad. But on a happier note, he did really love writing fantasy. And I think this kind of goes to like what you were talking about with putting yourself out into the world. Like he loved how fantasy allows writers the freedom to create new cultures and speak more freely, he said, about good and evil and right and wrong yeah. without anyone being able to pick it apart and say, like, that's not how it would really happen. Um, he thought that was something that fantasy could do. And he, he thought it. You know, let's readers journey into the deepest layers of the human soul and learn to believe in miracles or that any obstacle, no matter how big, could be overcome. Yeah. So fantasy was was huge for him. And I, I think even though he didn't get to write the Vietnam book, you know, he put more than a dozen amazing fantasy works out into the world. Yeah, I, I, I think that his legacy and his influence on the world is absolutely... Um, uh, you cannot say, "Oh, he didn't get the Vietnam book done, so his his legacy his is shot." <laughs> wasn't as much as it could have been. It's like, no, it it was as much as it could have been. Yeah, it, the Vietnam book would have just been something for him. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't. It could have been. icing on the cake. Yeah, like it's it's like talking about the book that we never got from Tolkien and Lewis, the collaboration book that we never got from them. It, we don't know. It could have been the greatest book ever, but most likely it wouldn't have impacted their careers or their legacy. No, it wouldn't have been Lord of the Rings or Narnia. Mm -mm. Um, and then just like touching on his legacy. Um, so he actually did not get to go to Jordan Con. That was not around during his lifetime. Oh, really? Uh, I thought it no. was. 
It was founded um, by a woman named Jennifer Lang, and the first one was held near Atlanta in April of 2009, so mm-hmm. two years after he died. Um, the guest of honor was Harriet, of course, uh, and they had something called a fan guest of honor, who was Wilson Grooms, who was Robert Jordan's cousin, who he apparently referred to as, as his brother, and and this guy was like very deep into the fandom, so they kind of like selected their own guests to come. Nice. Um, Brandon Sanderson also came. Yep. And so did the publisher, Tom Doherty. Uh, around oh. 250 people attended, and they raised more than $3,000 for the Mayo... Is it pronounced Mayo Clinic or I've Mayo Clinic? Mayo Clinic, to be honest. Okay, it's probably Mayo Clinic. I just don't like saying that because it makes me think of mayonnaise. Mm. <laughs> uh, and this conference has gone on every All year right, except we for... Got, we got you $3,000. We expect a lot of mayo to be a produced A lot of mayonnaise. Year. You can sell no, it I think to Subway. It... Uh, you know, they never put on enough mayo for my sandwiches. Um, best foods, they're going to need some... <laughs> I just don't know how to pronounce things sometimes, okay? I, I think the, the donation was for, like, medical research into cardiac myeloiditis or whatever it was that he had. They were trying to lube up a stiffened heart with uh, with, <laughs> with mayo. mayonnaise. You should probably not eat a lot of mayonnaise if you have that disease. Um, but, yeah, so this, this conference is still going on today. It's gone on every year except during the first year of COVID. I'm not sure how big this year's was, but they said they sold out for the first time ever. So that could have beat their previous record of 800 some attendees. So it's pretty big. And it's just like all wheel of time stuff all the time. It's huge. It's probably big because the show came out, you know, he's getting more recognition. Yeah. It was probably bigger this year than usual. Always in Atlanta. Uh, I am not sure. Real Jordan con. I don't know I'll, why it's not in Charleston. Yeah, I'd be going to Charleston for that. I'm yeah, not gonna, here's the deal. I'm not going <laughs> to JordanCon till it's in Charleston. Okay. Yeah, I, I have no idea why they have it in Georgia. <laughs> unless, but, uh, hey, unless uh, you guys want us to come do a panel at Georgia, and then we'll then, go. Then we'll go wherever you guys want us to. It, Lovely city. It'd be so great, no matter where it is. And then the only other uh, legacy thing I wanted to talk about was uh, semi-controversial. So I don't know if you knew this, but in 2019, so three years ago, Tom Doherty published Warrior of the Altai 40 years after Rigney, Robert Jordan, um, originally pitched it to him. How did he publish a burned book? Exactly. So... Yeah, I haven't read this book, uh, but according to Harriet and Tom, it contains a lot of foreshadowing of the Wheel of Time universe. I'm very conflicted about the fact that it was published because, on the one hand, Robert Jordan had been adamant, in interviews at least, that he never wanted it published. So it seems like they went against his wishes, unless he had a change of heart at the end of his life, but he died more than a decade before they published it. So it really seems more like a money grab yeah it's and it kind grab. of it reminded me of the controversy i don't know if you heard about this when harper lee's go set a watchman was published a while back oh, uh, lee is the to kill a mockingbird author mm-hmm. and she'd always said that she would never publish this book so some people suspected that it had been like a case of elder abuse or at least like taking advantage of an old lady huh. when they published it when she was 89 hmm. so this kind of reminded me of that I, I have kind of a weird feeling about it 
But on the other hand, I think a lot of Robert Jordan fans were super excited to get to read something new by this iconic author who was such a big part of their lives. And yeah, I also doesn't, have to, doesn't matter though. Doesn't matter. He didn't. It doesn't. Want, he didn't want it published. It's but his, I have to believe that Harriet wouldn't have let it get published if she thought her husband would be upset about it. Like this wonderful saint of a woman. I this guess, glorious but it seems marriage. really convenient that a <laughs> year, two years after this book gets published, Wheel of Time comes out on Prime. And yeah, it's and like I'm sure they helping... were already like making it at that point because they filmed it around 2020. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, nothing against Harriet by all means, but uh, maybe it wasn't her decision. Maybe she didn't have any control. Maybe it was uh, in the wrong person's hands. I don't know. Maybe it was Harriet, but unless he specifically was like, Hey, I'm going to die. So, and nothing matters because life is pointless and we're all just in a <laughs> vacuum of space. Perilously Which doesn't seem like him to the point of gravitational reversal. And then we're going to get sucked <laughs> back into another big bang situation where the universe is going to restart. So it's God, okay. If you publish, <laughs> it's okay. If you publish the first book I wrote, uh, unless I hear that, nah, I think that they took advantage. I don't think that it was his uh, intention for anybody to re- read it. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling too, which sucks. Yeah. But all in all, I feel like uh, he was a cool dude. Yeah, I'm man. I genuinely think that, I think that he engaged with his fandom. I think that he liked what he was writing enough to be a part of the the enjoyment of reading it. You know, he wasn't so stuck up that he's like, ah, it's, it's whatever. It's a book. You know, I'm writing <laughs> a book, whatever. Um, like, he's he enjoyed being it's, – it's what – honest to God, it's what I want to be as an author. Everything that he was, it's what I want to be. Him and Sanderson. Sanderson, the more I read about him – the more I I enjoy seeing an author who loves his own writing and not because he loves the sound of his voice or, you know, or thinks that he is a great writer. He loves the process of telling a story and being a part of enjoying the story, you know, you know being like, oh, this is a great idea. Let me try this out. And when somebody's like, hey, this is a really cool idea. He's like, I know, right? This is what I was thinking <laughs> about when I came up with it. I wanted to tell a story where the the Messiah doesn't want to be the Messiah. I wanted to come up with the chosen one who hates the idea of being chosen. And and that's what he did. And, and everybody loved it. And so did he. And we all enjoyed it. There's nothing bad about it. <laughs> Except maybe that it's fucking 14 bucks long. But yeah. that's, a, that's a me thing. There's other people who are like, I love that it's 14 books long because it means there's just more content to read. So why not? Yeah. It's like how I feel about Harry Potter. Harry Potter could have gone on for seven more books and I would have been very, very happy about that. Yeah. I mean, they tried to, right? With like uh, The Cursed Child and and stuff. Didn't they they try to do more I thought The Cursed Child was just like a musical, but... It's I a musical. I I, it was a musical. I don't know. I have not watched or like read anything that's come out since the I mean, original they're canon. The, they're trying to do it with the movies, though. I yeah. Mean, they're giving us the and, Fantastic Beast series. Yeah. And I, I've heard mixed reviews on that. I mean, I feel like those wouldn't work for me so much because 
Well, I guess J.K. Rowling is involved in the writing of them, so maybe they, like, are cohesive with the rest of the story. I don't know. That's usually my problem when they make spin-off movies, is that it's like, oh, it's we didn't not- consult with the source material at yeah. all. Like, I think I, the hardest part for, for me with Fantastic Beasts is there's just so much controversy surrounding everything going <laughs> Johnny into Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, J.K. Rowling herself. Like, the fact that these are, are prequels that, like, sometimes don't align with stuff like i don't know it's just like can we too much drama yeah can we just not can we just enjoy remember when everybody loved harry potter you remember like 10 years ago when everybody <laughs> loved harry potter that was great that was a great time it's a great time to be alive and now everyone loves the wheel of time and if you don't you're you're not an alive person you're a dead yeah. person with no soul i a person who doesn't really <laughs> like reading fantasy anymore thoroughly enjoyed this book and i enjoyed it even more knowing what a great person robert jordan was are you gonna keep reading it are you gonna continue the series i actually might in the beginning i wasn't so sure but then once the plot really got moving i was like okay i'm kind of invested kind of want to know how this goes did you buy it or did you library it i libraried it because i library all my books tyler (laughs) you don't buy any books ever sometimes i buy books but i'm very um I was raised by a very fiscally responsible mom who who made us like get literally everything from the library, including movies. Um, So libraries have always held a special place in my heart. And unless I know that I love the author and all of their other works, like I'm very unlikely to buy a book. Like from a new author, basically. I love buying. I don't take chances. (laughs) <laughs> unless it's like a used bookstore <laughs> if it's really cheap buying books and seeing if they're good <laughs> i try it out for free first yeah i i mean yeah. i i enjoy i end up now buying books after i've listened to them so i i listen to a book on libro and then i go over hashtag libro sponsor us um <laughs> And so then, you buy the book twice is what I'm hearing while I buy it zero times. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get the free credit every month. So I use the free credit, listen to the book. Oh. And then, and then ha- again, hashtag sponsor us, Libro. Come on. Uh, and then I go buy the book if I really like it. Oh, okay. So I like that tactic. That's what I do. That's what he does. Uh, so yeah, so that's Robert Jordan. And in our next episode, we're going to talk about this dude whose name we dropped a few times, Brandon Sanderson. Well, and wait, uh, come on, Hannah. Brandon we we, Sanderson. No, we could have made it more thematic. We could be like, and now that Robert Jordan is dead, oh my God. who will take up the mantle as the greatest <laughs> fantasy writer in America? Which one of them will ascend to godhood and become he who shall be named author of wheel of time 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 time. where was this energy at the beginning of the episode tyler i was all waiting for that waiting for the end i was saving all of that energy for the end that was basically like 25 times better than my teaser so yes that's what we're gonna do next time there you go um (laughs) We, uh, before do we, we do our regular housekeeping, I oh. think you have to announce your stuff. 
Um, I'm, yeah, I guess it's. I'm getting, gonna put you on the spot. It's getting a little more serious, a little more for real, I guess. For reals. Um, I I found out today that you can you can pre-order the book now, <gasps> right now on Amazon. And Tyler, whose book is that that we can pre-order <laughs> on Amazon? It's not Hannah's book. She hasn't finished <laughs> hers. <laughs> it's mine. Um, so I have I've talked about this throughout the show. Uh, for the last year or so, I've been kind of doing an experiment of um, writing a short story every month. And it really started happening because reading like Frank Herbert and um, Stephen King and um, so many others. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft himself is the master of short stories. All of these authors started by writing short stories and, and they got really good at it. And um, and then it progressed into novels. I'm a fan of binging TV shows on Netflix and, you know, uh, Hulu and HBO and stuff. I'm a fan of comic books. Um, and all of these things are like a monthly or weekly or, or sort of thing, um, release. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to do short stories once a month. Um, and it basically started as an idea a long time ago as like a either a TV show that I wanted to write or a podcast that I wanted to write but eventually I came up with the idea of a fantasy sitcom because those are the two things I love the most F sitcoms I mean I like I go I fall asleep watching sitcoms I I I watch sitcoms while I feed my child because I'm a father now um, <laughs> third time <laughs> and uh, and like I just I've I've learned how to break them down. I've learned how to look at the story structure of sitcom writing. Um, I'm not great at it. I'm not sitting here being like, I'm a master of sitcom writing. I just, I enjoy it so much. And so I'm trying to push myself to write like a sitcom. At the same time, there's nothing out there that's a sitcom in a fantasy world. We've gotten like the Orville is like a sitcom in Star Trek world. We've gotten Brooklyn nine, nine, which is really, I started watching Brooklyn nine, nine and really thinking about this idea a lot more, um, where it's, you know, it's the police, uh, the office parks and rec new girl, all of these sitcoms that I absolutely love. Nothing that was set in fantasy like I love. And so I'm basically m mushing those two together to create this this thing. And it's called the Penny Lich, L-I-C-H, Penny Lich, uh, which is a tavern in the world. And it actually, this world is the same world that uh, the Players Guild podcast that I do takes place in. So um, all the characters from they kind of there's going to be some intermingling at some point so that world that i created i'm using to write the story series and so the first three the first three stories uh will be all together in a release bundle uh one book uh each story is ten thousand words so it's not a lot it's i mean just to for clarity you know the first harry potter i think was eighty six thousand words um so this is small. I mean, this is something you could read for me in an afternoon, for Hannah in like uh, an hour. Like an hour. A, yeah. Like uh, it is a, a easy, fun, quick read each story. And it is an each story is an episode in 
the sitcom format. So, you know, just like you'd come in uh, on Thursdays and watch an episode of, you know, uh, The Office, and then you'd come back next week and watch another episode, and they're each their own contained stories, you end up buying the full season two disc collection and it tells one big story for that season. And then even more so, you know, the whole show mm-hmm. tells an even bigger story. And that's kind of what I'm doing. It, It's the Penny Lich uh, fantasy sitcom. Each short story is its own little story telling a bigger storytelling an even bigger story. And um, so the first three episodes, first three stories will be collected together and they'll be f- for sale there you can pre-order it now the release bundle uh is on amazon altogether you can get the paperback or you can just get the ebook um and then every month after june so in july august september every month there will be a new episode uh for you to buy those will all be ebooks um just because i <laughs> i can't justify doing a paperback for ten thousand words it's just not feasible <laughs> Um, so if you buy, if you pre-order and buy the first, the release bundle, you get 30,000 words, you get three episodes, and then you get to come back every month and get a new story and keep up with the Penny Lich gang, um, and hopefully laugh and possibly cry and have a good time with the, with the stories that I'm writing. And all of this is, is an experiment. It's for me to get better and push myself and say, okay, I have to write. I have to write today because I have to fucking make my deadlines. And eventually, you know, if I can get enough support and people coming back every month to buy uh, a short story, then that could possibly help me move into writing actual novels or other uh, series, short series, and and eventually make my writing my career. So this is this is my first play at that. Yeah, I'm just so excited about uh, this project, and I, I love that the idea was kind of born from our podcast and seeing how other writers um, worked and like moved into novels and stuff. Because I know that with your your previous series, like you kind of got frustrated. Correct me if I'm wrong with like how vast everything was and like it was a very intimidating project to tackle like you had all of these story arcs planned out for these massive books um and i think i think short stories are are a way that have been proven to kind of hone that writing craft so i'm really excited that that you started doing that um and yeah i can't wait to read the first bundle i mean i know like a year ago i read the first episode but i don't know if that's still in the the first bundle um, uh, i don't know how much has changed significantly changed but um yeah but it's it's yeah it's still pretty much the same and plus you um you know you can you'll get more stories out of it so yeah so yeah, i'm really excited to see it and i'm glad that um you've kind of found this way of holding yourself accountable because with how busy uh both of our lives are meeting deadlines and and actually making writing a priority can be very difficult and i'm glad that one of us is at least doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and um I, again like the big thing is if you look at a, a big fantasy novel one hundred and twenty thousand words like that's a that's a big book right you if you write one chapter a month and you make that chapter 10,000 words like that's 
you write one chapter a month, you can have that in one year. And even 10,000 words might scare some people. And it's like, okay, but I've got seven, eight characters. If I pair them each off, I've got three stories that I'm telling in one. That's 10,000 words. Now each story is really only 3,000 words long. And if you're going to write the beginning, middle, and end for each of those, you know, it's basically three scenes scenes that are each a thousand words long. I can write a thousand words in an hour. So it like that's how my brain works and how You're very I, analytical about yeah, it. I've broken it down so that I go, Oh, that's really achievable. I can write a whole book in a year. That's super easy. And yeah, it keeps me accountable because people are actively reading it and it pushes me to try and, and write better and better and better, faster and faster and faster. Um, so if you guys are interested, you can go to uh, my website, you can go to my link tree, whatever you want to do to sign up for the um, newsletter. That's the big thing that I'm pushing right now, the newsletter, because it's it'll it'll have links that can you know help you buy it and pre-order it and things. Um, it will remind you every month and it'll give you a little look at what the new story is going to be and give you a look into my life as I try to do all this. The newsletter is kind of big, even though I, I don't, it's not huge. It's not like a blog or anything. It's two pages. One is mostly pictures and the other one's a little bit of writing. Um, because I don't have time to do a fucking newsletter blog bullshit. I have to write a fucking story. Um, <laughs> so, uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, that's the best way to stay, up to date or going to my uh, Instagram will probably be a good one or just go to Amazon type in the penny lich and you can find it and it's available right now for pre-order and then it will be out on June 7th awesome <sighs> all right enough of me talking about my stuff um, Hannah where can they find all of our stuff uh, you can see updates from us on facebook.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft. Rarely. You know, we don't do most of our posting there. Almost we are much not. more active on Instagram yeah. at Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, you can also see our website, lewisandlovecraft.com. And you can email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. We love to hear from you guys. And uh, we try to respond to everyone in a timely fashion i know i have a couple emails i need to respond to um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we've gotten a couple of emails from some people uh, uh one guy in particular who's been you know he reached out to be like hey you guys are still doing a show right and <laughs> we had to be like yeah we are we are it's fine. we promise we're, we're, <laughs> we're not done um also thanks to jake basson for our awesome intro music you can find his stuff at soundcloud.com slash jake Bassen, B-A-S-S-E-N. Also, Cameron has done our, our remix for that we use for correspondence that we don't use anymore because we haven't done a correspondence. But yeah, thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> and make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. We're trying to be more regular with our, our posting now, um, but still make sure to subscribe so you get those dropped straight into your feed as soon as uh, they are released. Yeah, rate and review us on iTunes or Podchaser or Spotify. Now, you can rate and review, or you can at least rate on Spotify. What? So if you're listening to us on Spotify, you pause it right now. Pause it 
And I'm not wait, even pausing it. I'm just I'm going on Spotify to rate yeah, us. Listen, listen to, until I say pause it again. But go, you'll you'll go and find it on the page, and then you can like five stars it, and every it helps. It helps. So now go look for it and pause it. <laughs> okay, now you're back. So uh, you must have reviewed us. We expect hundreds of thousands of reviews by the end of uh, the day on this one. Hannah, what's the absolute best way someone can help us out, though? The best way you can help us out is by starting your own fan forum for our show and recruiting lots of people to ask if Tyler wears boxers or briefs. Yeah. Um, but the second best way you can, can do it is by telling a friend. What would our con be called? If they started a Between Lewis and Lovecraft comic or co- convention, what would it be called? Between Con? Between Con? And then they think it's like Between Two Ferns or something. <laughs> I don't know. Ghoul Gang Con. Ghoul Gang Con. Um, yeah, the, talk to your friends about our show. If you're a new listener, let people know that we're here and that I, um, you know, said that Christian's can suck it or something at the beginning of this <laughs> something controversial yeah. something terrible i think um, you just said they were weird it wasn't even that offensive it went <laughs> right over my head <laughs> um tell your friends about our show and, and help us grow it's we're really looking forward to this next year of of recording um don't forget we have our halloween episode in six months so you know <laughs> start write, writing write one word a day and you'll be ready when it's time to submit <laughs> um and uh and that's it anything else hannah you want to say goodbye to our, our ghoul gang friends no just everyone uh remember the wheel and the time keeps on turning the wheel <laughs> and the time keeps on turning see you see you guys later ghoul gang stay safe stay safe